Thanks for listening to the Arc Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. This year on the podcast, we focused on including more artists, not necessarily to speak about their work, but rather their experiences navigating the opaque art world. If you're an artist, regardless of what stage you are in your career, you can always learn from hearing about the experiences of other artists. We don't hear about it enough. And for collectors or those who work in the industry, I think it's important to further understand how artists are viewing the many facets of the art world and how they're trying to manage their careers. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we chat with the artist Amir Fala about his journey as an artist from school to where he is today, having successful gallery exhibitions as well as museum shows. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Amir, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. So the origin of this podcast episode really is you reaching out to me offline and expressing that you felt it was really important to have more artists as guests on the podcast, that it was important to hear from artists about their experiences navigating the art world, really something that isn't discussed enough. And so then I said, hey, why don't you come on the podcast? And he said, okay, and here we are. So to start things off, tell us what, what prompted you exactly to want to reach out and why do you think it's so important for artists to come on these types of forums to talk about the art market and the art world and their experiences? Well, you know, I, first and for, foremost, uh, I'm a huge podcast lover. So I listen to all types of uh, pod, podcasts and specifically art ones. And a lot of times what I find when... I listen to podcasts with artists is, you know, they get into the artist's childhood, how they grew up, but they don't really get into what it's like to be an artist and how do you navigate um, being an artist at all the different levels from emerging to, you know, mid-career all the way to, uh, you know, the highest levels. And, and I think it just comes from a very selfish place of where as my career is changing and developing there's a lot of times where I wish that I had access to artists that are a bit higher up than me and hear, you know, how they navigated kind of the murky waters of the art world. And uh, so it's just, it's simply just a selfish reason where I wanted to hear artists talking about what happens when their prices quadruple overnight or when they go from a small gallery to a big gallery and how they navigate uh, these different levels of uh, being an artist. Well, we're happy you're here and we're going to have more artists on in the future. So I imagine most of our listeners are familiar with you and your work, but before we start jumping into some of these art world topics, I do think it would be helpful if you could just briefly, we don't need to go into your childhood as you joked, but tell us about your trajectory as an artist. When did you graduate school? Who are the galleries you're showing with? Just to give that context so we fully understand your perspective as an artist. Sure. So I went to undergrad at a school in Baltimore called the Maryland Institute College of Art or MICA. And I studied painting and drawing there. And uh, immediately from grad school or from undergrad, I went to grad school at UCLA where I also uh, studied painting and drawing. And I graduated from UCLA in 2005 and I've been in LA ever since. And um, 
you know, just started very organically doing lots of little group shows here and there and kind of working my way up to, you know, having solo shows. And um, uh, currently I'm represented by Shulamit Nazarian Gallery in L.A., Denny Dimon Gallery in New York and Hong Kong, uh, the Third Line in Dubai, and Dia Horia in Greece. And so when we think about artists nowadays, there really is a lot more to it than just making art. You have to consider so many things, uh, such as how much art to make, how it should be priced, what galleries are the best partners for you, how do you market yourself to the public. Generally speaking, how do you approach some of these things, and are there certain guiding principles you follow when it comes to the art world? For as long as I can remember, uh, the one constant that I heard from artists that were older than me was to uh, go slow and steady. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to watch a lot of my friends in grad school have immediate success while they were still in school. Many of them had, you know, were exhibiting internationally, multiple gallery representations, you know, in their early 20s and uh, selling at the highest levels. And um, some of them are still very successful artists, but a good handful of them also, you know, didn't survive, you know, multiple recessions. Um, they overproduced or underproduced or their egos got, a, got ahead of them. And, um, you know, it just didn't work out. And um, that didn't happen for me because I, I really didn't have many opportunities right out of grad school. Um, I was very young when I graduated and uh, I had, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I had many years of solitude in the studio where I just kind of chipped away at the work without many people paying attention to me. So it took me a solid, you know, 10, 11 years to really get a footing in the art world uh, uh, after grad school. And so uh, because of that, I've just realized that, you know, the faster you shoot out, you know, the more likely you are to burn out. So um, everything from pricing to where my work is placed, uh, I try to take a more uh, conservative and more methodical approach. I like to be very involved in who my work gets sold to. I'm very involved with my galleries. Um, and I just like to have a hand in as much of my own career as possible. I, I don't like the idea of handing the keys to a gallerist and, you know, just hiding out of my studio. Um, and, uh, you know, so far that's, that's served me well. And, um, you know, I've, my career has just been escalating at a very nice, slow, but, you know, even pace year after year. And, um, you know, it feels like the safest approach for me. Yeah, that resonates a lot with me. I feel like, honestly, that's the best formula to follow. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And when I speak with younger artists, I share that same philosophy with them. You mentioned that your career was slowly developing. I think it's interesting to think about that at this moment now. Really, since the first few months of COVID, the art market has been booming. And that's especially been the case for very emerging artists their work can be seen and discovered so easily now on Instagram that artists' careers are taking off left and right at such a young age, just out of school, or even while still in school. Given all of this, I think for young artists or new collectors, 
Honestly, the idea of an artist's career slowly developing might seem like a foreign concept. So tell us a little bit more about that time in your career when you were younger and weren't getting nearly as much attention as you are today. I think that was during maybe the early part of what later became the zombie formalist movement. But how did you push through and persevere when you were experiencing this adversity and very little attention? Um, you know, when, when zo- I, I was making, um, I guess, semi, you could call it semi-abstract work. It certainly wasn't figurative. Uh, or representational when zombie formalism kind of began. And uh, right when that trend began, for whatever reason, I decided I'm going to go into figurative representation. So when I, w- when I f- started doing figurative work, it was the absolute worst timing ever. Nobody <laughs> was making work like that. Only a handful of my friends. And uh, from a business standpoint, it was the absolute wrong move, but from an artistic standpoint, it was where my interests were, and I and it, and it was where I felt like I could really contribute something to art. And uh, so, you know, that that resulted in a, in another like five years of you know small bits of success here and there, but you know, multiple solo shows where things didn't didn't sell and. Um, but I was very excited about the work. And I, I felt like I always had this mindset that um, I would talk myself into the idea that it wasn't the work, it was everyone else. And it just took the right person to see it and kind of connect with the work. And, you know, it's a little bit of a foolish uh, mindset, but I, I think for artists, that kind of ment- that kind of stubbornness and conviction is what kind of keeps you going where when you're making, you know, you know, almost minimum wage uh, with a master's degree and you've been at your career for 10 years. And it was just piece by piece, you know, one little bit of success or one opportunity. And every time I got presented an opportunity, I would, um, I would try to maximize uh, on that opportunity. So, and then I'm not even speaking commercially, like for instance, um, I got offered to do a, sh- a solo show at the Nerman Museum in Overland, Kansas. Um, and they had a great director, Bruce Hartman. And, um, you know, Bruce gave me my first shot at doing a museum show. And um, I didn't have that much time to put the work together. But, you know, I'd like to think that I went all out. I mean, we did like a fully immersive installation and I really gave that show 100%. And that show was one of the defining moments where things started falling into place and um, collectors started buying the work. The museum collected a piece from the show. Uh, I got great reviews. And, you know, it kind of helped me make that one, you know, take one more step forward. So every time I got an opportunity, even when it wasn't a big one, I would really put all my energy into it. And I would, you know, I would pretend that it was a, you know, a retrospective at the Guggenheim, even if it was at a nonprofit space or an artist run gallery. And um, I found that that kind of enthusiasm for making the work and exhibiting the work has kind of served me uh, well. Well, I love hearing your approach to exactly how you embrace each opportunity and 
even if a specific opportunity wasn't the Guggenheim retrospective, I think what we can learn from your experiences is that each specific opportunity really isn't isolated from other future opportunities because each opportunity, it sounds like, led to more momentum and more success, more sales, better gallery representation, more museum support. And it sounds like maybe the slow start of your career may have put a chip on your shoulder or at the very least motivated you to work especially hard to take advantage of these types of opportunities. And something else that I think maybe helped shape this approach is that you actually owned a business while you were starting your art career. I didn't know that originally, but as we've chatted over the years, you told me a little bit about it. So tell us a little bit more about what that business actually was and were you able to learn certain skill sets from being a business owner that you could actually apply to help manage your art career more effectively? Probably some skills that, you know, frankly, aren't taught in art school. Yeah, I, I started a, you know, it's, I started a magazine called Beautiful Decay. It, it began as a, as a black and white zine that I did in high school. And then when I was in college, I restarted it and it wasn't intended to be a real business. It was just like an art school project. Um, but the timing was right. This is pre-blogs, pre-WordPress, pre-Instagram. And we were like the analog Instagram of our day. And we covered art and design and fashion, kind of the, the merging of all these different creative uh, fields. And, um, you know, I made me and my partners, we made every mistake possible because we were like in our early 20s uh, doing that. But from every mistake, I learned a lot of valuable lessons. Um, but I also learned how to just be professional, you know, like meeting a deadline, um, uh, delivering on your promises, just very basic things, basic accounting, um, um, the basics of marketing and presenting yourself. And um, I feel like those are all lessons that, that again, you know, have come into play, you know, as, you know, my art career kind of took off a bit and, you know, I started working with multiple galleries and, you know, one of the things a lot of my galleries tell me is that, you know, uh, it's fairly straightforward working with me. You know, they give me a deadline, I meet it. You know, if I tell them giving them five paintings, I give them five paintings and, um, and I, and, you know, I'm sure it drives them a bit crazy since I'm very hands-on and want to be part of every step of the way. But I also think that brings a certain value to the gallery program as well, because the galleries also feel like I'm a partner uh, in their program, not just my own work, but other, the other artists in the program's work. So, um, you know, it, it's a nice way of working. I, I, it's how I would, you know, like to work with uh, any gallery that I, that, that I work with. Um, you know, most of my dealers I'm friends with, we, you know, we hang out, uh, I have, we talk about our, you know, our personal lives and, um, you know, it, it really does feel more of like a marriage than uh, casually dating. And the, most of my galleries I've been with for many, many years, uh, the oldest, my gallery in uh, the third line, I've been showing with them. Uh, I've lost count, but since like 2005, 2006. Uh, so, you know, um, I don't like to date a lot of galleries. I like to have really long-term relationships where we can, you know, grow together. Well, in the podcast, we have a lot of listeners who are artists. Some are younger and 
don't have any gallery representation yet, uh, and some maybe are with their first galleries. But we also have plenty of listeners who work at galleries. So I think it would be really valuable to hear your further insights and maybe even if you could share some advice on what you look for in a gallery relationship and what traits are most important to you. Well, I, I mean, as far as galleries go, you know, you want to work with someone that really believes in your work. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to be represented by a gallery who thinks you're doing well right now and they're trying to cash in on your success. You want somebody that wants to take your success and develop and then take it to the next level. And, you know, you, you're looking for a long-term partnership. I mean, I, I know a lot of artist friends, they're very casual about who they show with and um it almost never works out when when they just like jump in at some opportunity where they can you know make it make a nice amount of money short term but you know the work it has like long-term consequences so i would say to just take it really slow and sometimes it's better not to be in in a relationship that's not you know that you don't feel 100 percent about and it's better to wait i mean in los angeles um, I didn't, I didn't have representation, um, until just recently, I waited 11 years to have a gallery that represented me. And, and I had some options, but I always felt that either they couldn't do anything for me that I couldn't already do for myself or that, you know, they just wanted to, you know, take a flyer and just see what happens with my work. And, and they weren't really invested long-term in my career. So I really waited for many years until. Uh, Shulamit Nazarian came around and um, I could see some sort of long-term roadmap to, and, our, and also our, our ambitions and uh, ideals in the business uh, aligned. Um, they, they want long-term sustainable growth and they really want to support their artists at a very high level. And that was the type of relationship that I was looking for. I, I wanted a gallery to be partner with and not just, you know, be you know a showroom for my work every couple of years uh when it was my turn to have a solo show and so now that you've had this level of success with museum exhibitions and commercially your works reach a certain price level and the work sells very quickly at that price point do you feel like you've reached a new stage of your career and what career goals do you have for yourself at this time yeah i think what's really my the most important thing for me is um you know like you know, the, the work is selling, there's collectors that are interested, that's not an issue. So, um, so now that, you know, money isn't at the forefront of my mind, I'm thinking about where the work is going. Is it, you know, um, my, my absolute number one priority is to show with museums and uh, or nonprofit institutions. And, uh, you know, I want, you know, I feel like I have something to say with my work. Uh, I want to contribute to the canon of art history. And, um, and I want to work with people who are interested in helping my work, you know, reach the highest levels. Like, I'm not interested in, uh, you know, pumping my prices at auction and uh, just making a quick buck. And then, you know, checking out of the art world. I want to be here in 50 years and I, and I want to place my work in, in situations where that can happen. Um, so even with like collectors, I'm fortunate that I, you know, I'm actually friends with most of the people that collect my work by and large. I know most of my collectors. I hang out with them. I, in some cases I vacation with them. We're friends. They're, 
And it's really gratifying when you have those types of relationships because um, you feel like they're on your team and um, they get to kind of follow you along on your journey and um, they, they get to also grow with you and you get to grow with them. And it's, uh, it's a mutually beneficial situation um, outside of just, you know, monetary gains. And I found that the collectors I really believed in my work early on, they continue to collect the work in depth, which is really gratifying too, because then they, they have this mini retrospective of your work, you know, through the years. Um, and, you know, long-term, you know, hopefully that, that also equals to the work having some sort of like monetary value. But I think there's a lot of things to be gained outside of just, you know, you know, a big paycheck at the end. Um, I think most artists want that and collectors that are in it for the long haul, they, they realize that the cultural capital is a lot more fulfilling than the monetary capital. Definitely. And you mentioned you have close relationships with a lot of collectors who collect your work. Honestly, I don't think that's incredibly common. I mean, I know it happens sometimes, but there are plenty of instances when there's no dialogue at all between artist and collector, which I, I think is a shame. And I imagine Instagram has helped you develop and maintain a lot of these relationships. It's honestly a really incredible tool if you want to use it in that way and take advantage of it. I think you're pretty accessible on it, responding to DMs, commenting on other posts. And I do think having those kinds of relationships with collectors just makes collecting your work an even more exciting and rewarding experience for collectors and probably for you as well. I'm curious for you, are, are these relationships happening organically or are you thinking about the benefits of having these kinds of dialogues and relationships and you're consciously trying to do this? I mean, I, I, love, I love art and I love the art world and I love all the different players that are in the art world. Like, you know, I, I'm a full believer in the power of art in the art community. And so, you know, when people don't buy art by accident, it's a very conscious decision and takes to be a good collector. It takes so many hours. And so I find those people interesting. I find people that research, they travel, their entire life is consumed by art. Um, they're, they're my people. So I just, for me, it just feels natural to want to engage with them and uh, spend time with them and learn why are they collecting this stuff? Why are, you know, they could fill their houses up with whatever they want, but um, why are they collecting art, you know, by artists that are making art today? You know, many of these people can collect, you know, uh, works by dead artists or blue chip artists that, you know, um, where there's zero risk in the price going down, uh, but they're choosing to buy contemporary artists. And I find that really fascinating. So I genuinely enjoy getting to know them. And I find a lot of times we're talking about other artists' works. You know, I'm showing them artists who I'm excited by. They're showing me artists that they're excited by. And for me, it's no different than talking to a fellow artist or a gallerist or a curator. Um, if the collector is a serious collector, then, you know, we have, you know, we just have really great uh, relationships. So, I mean, I'm interested in those kinds of uh relationships because there's a genuine connection but then there you know it helps everything it helps business it helps your personal life um it's more fulfilling and enjoyable it, it i guess it's a more like holistic view of the art world you know like i don't like to think be cynical and think that 
every collector is a flipper and they don't care about art. I think these, I think they do care about art and they love art. Um, so why not seek out collectors that you do feel aligned with and you do have something in common with? A big part of the art market is the auctions. You've had a few paintings come to auction, but these have been older works and you know, your work has evolved so much. It just isn't the same thing as a more recent work coming to auction that's closer aesthetically to what you're doing currently. But as an artist at this point in your career, how much are auctions on your mind when you're thinking about the art market? And how do you manage some of these emotions that come along with that? Well, you know, it's, it's completely out of my hands to a certain level, right? Uh, people sell work for many different reasons. I, you know, the most recent work that went up for auction, the collector had it since 2007. So, you know, even with the very early work, people have held on to it for decades, um, which, uh, you know, which I like to take as a compliment. I mean, I feel like most people that collect my work actually live with it. Um, they send me pictures of the work in their home and they, they, they actually have some sort of connection with the work outside of like them thinking it's valuable or thinking that it, the price is going to go up. But I do see the writing on the wall and it, and it does feel like sooner or later my works are going to pop up to auction. And, you know, um, I, you know, I think, I think every artist is simultaneously scared of that moment, but also maybe a little bit excited by the potential of it because it can have effects on your career. I mean, um, it's no secret that when an artist's work does well at auction, all of a sudden all the big galleries come sniffing around. Um, but you know, it's a double-edged sword. So I, I try not to think too much about it because, um, because I can't do, I, I don't have any control over what goes to auction, but I think what I do have control over is who my work sells to and making sure that the work goes in the best possible hands, uh, that doesn't, so that the work doesn't go into somebody's hands who needs to make a 20 or $30,000 profit. They can, they want to, and they can afford to hold the work. So it just goes back to that same, the, what we were talking about at the beginning, um, having good relationships with collectors, not saying yes to every sale, um, even, even if it could be a lot of money and, um, you know, and having good relationships with your galleries and making sure that, you know, they know that you want the work to go into the best hands, not, you know, sometimes you have to hold on to a big painting for six months to a year until it goes into the right person's hand. You know, maybe you could have sold that painting immediately, but it would have gone into some speculator's hands and, you know, it'll show up at auction. So uh, we've been doing that a lot too, which is just making sure that, you know, the right painting goes into the right person's hand and just doesn't go into the first person that calls up the gallery. And finally, while we have you here, we do have a lot of young emerging artists who listen to the podcast, and I'm sure they'd love to hear any final advice you can offer on navigating the art world. What words of wisdom do you generally share specifically for rising artists who reach out to you? Well, you know, uh, in many ways, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, you know, um, so I don't, I don't pretend to know everything, but in the little bit that I do know, um, I think for me, what made the difference was I needed many years of just working in solitude and really figuring out what I wanted to say with the work. Um, it wasn't just about, I was cranking out a lot of work, but I, 
I didn't know what I wanted to contribute to, to art. I didn't know what the, what my angle was or what my little contribution or tweak to, you know, the canon of art history was. And, and that just takes a lot of time and energy. And sometimes that might mean that you have to wait, you know, you, you don't start showing and, you know, making a bunch of money off your art in your like early twenties. Maybe it means that it doesn't happen for you until your mid thirties, but you have to make sure the work is ready for prime time because the worst thing can, that can happen is you have some success when the work is still half baked and then that work is out there and it's out of your control and it could show up at auction. People can dump it. They can try to return it to the gallery and you have no control over that. So the only thing you do have control over is making really good work that, you know, hopefully can stand the test of time or, um, or at least you're attempting to make some work, you know, that you think can stand the test of time. Um, so just being really patient and just being really mindful with who you uh, align yourself with, because in the art world, just like everywhere else, there's a lot of well-intentioned people. And then there's like a lot of sharks that, you know, will will do anything to make a dollar off of you. And they will artists, new artists pop up every day. So we're very disposable. So, you know, if they, if it's not working with you, they'll just find another painter or sculptor or photographer there's no shortage of artists um so you can't kid yourself and think that you're so special that you know you can work with someone that's that has a bad reputation or um or you know isn't the most respected person and you can somehow uh come out you know on top it rarely happens Amir, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast. We really enjoyed the conversation and hearing you reflect on all of your experiences in the art world. It was really insightful. And before we let you go, tell us about your show that's open now, as well as what you have planned for the near future. Well, um, I have a solo show that's currently up right now in Hong Kong with Denny Dimon Gallery. And that'll be uh, running till uh, June 4th. And at the end of June... On the 30th, I have a solo show with the Sika uh, Foundation, uh, which is a, a new nonprofit space in Vancouver. And uh, I'll have a show there for about a month and a half. Perfect. Well, we're looking forward to following along. Thanks so much again, Amir. Awesome, man.